electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, the cold front taking Texas energy by storm. CNBC's Brian Sullivan. Because the predictions of the storm were apparently so far off, the energy demand needs, or at least estimates, were far off. And playing the game, awaiting the Reddit rebellion hearing on Capitol Hill, entrepreneur and investor Kevin O'Leary knows who he's rooting for. In investing, you win and you lose. You make money, you lose money. That is for every investor. And if we can get an 18-year-old learning that early on, because we certainly haven't covered it for them in high school or college, if they have to learn it on Reddit and they have to learn it trading on Robinhood, I'm okay with it. But what's best for our system? Operation Hope's John Bryant. It's in Wall Street's best interest. We've got to create a new generation of investors by educating them in the market, with the market, by the market. Plus, Bezos is back on top. Dr. Fauci clarifies our vaccine timeline, and we'll hear from a new developer rebuilding Detroit and battling bigotry. Access to capital is a historic problem that emerging developers, African-Americans, women, Minorities across the board, people of color across the board face and struggle with. It's Wednesday, February 17th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kern. Becky Quick is off today. Jeff Bezos has reclaimed the title as the world's richest person thanks to a slide in Tesla's stock price yesterday. Tesla fell more than 2%, representing a slide of nearly $4 billion in Elon Musk's net worth. That's according to Forbes. Elon Musk passed Bezos as the world's richest person back in January. Joe, do you think that Elon and, and, and Jeff and some of the others, how often, you know, people look at stock prices every day. I, I actually do think that, that right. the CEOs who own stock look at the stock price at least once a day. Some of them is, you know, back in the day, Sumner Redstone would look at it all day. Do you think they look at the rankings? Right of themselves versus others every day, too? I think they're aware, I guess. I don't, for me, you know, if I could get top 10, top 10, you know, I wouldn't even care if I was tied. Uh, For for, for 10th, if I was tied for 10th, that'd be fine. But I'm sure they know. And knowing the way these guys operate, where Brewster's millions, you're never spending this. uh, You know what I mean? So it's not the money at this point. So I'm sure that ego... Uh, plays into it at, uh, at some point. How about an update now on vaccinations? Overall, 71.7 yeah. million doses have been, now been delivered. Nearly 40 million people have received uh, one or more doses, and about 15 million people have actually received their second dose. Meantime, Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, slightly delaying his estimate for when he expects most Americans will have access to a vaccine. He's now looking at mid to, uh, to late May or early June. I was hoping that that would be by the end of April, namely have gone through all of the priorities and now say, okay, anyone can get it. That was predicated on J&J, the Johnson product, having a considerably more doses than now we know they're going to have. So that timeline will probably be prolonged maybe into mid to late May and early June. 
he points to Johnson and Johnson cutting its initial supply estimates, uh, and he attributes the delay uh, to that to some extent. At least 21 people have died, and millions are facing power outages for a third straight day as historically cold weather puts pressure on the region's energy infrastructure. The breakdown in the nation's energy capital has sparked growing outrage and demands for answers. Brian Sullivan has some of them this morning, and he joins us now. Brian. Well, Andrew, I, I hope I have them, by the way. Uh, and listen, right now, first off, still exceptionally cold. Three million people in Texas as of the latest, latest numbers from PowerOutage.us still without power and more snow and cold are on the way. So at the very most basic human level, it's a scary situation. There are people who have actually frozen to death over the last 24 hours. Just a terrifying situation. We need to get the power on. Okay, so what has happened? You know, there's still a lot that we don't know, but there's a lot that we are learning. First thing first, number one, looks like the state was just unprepared for the storm severity. Some of the weather forecasts last Thursday predicted a storm, but not this bad. And so when you prep for a certain storm coldness, you say, well, we're going to need X amount of energy because the predictions of the storm were apparently so far off. The energy demand needs, or at least estimates, were far off. Factor that in to lower inventories. Inventories were not low, but they were obviously less than they needed. So you had natural gas. Texas is a state that primarily relies on natural gas to fire its power plants. If you don't have enough or enough in the right place, you're not going to be able to fire those plants. Also, no power. You can't use a well or pipelines. This is an electricity system. Many have backup generators. Maybe the generators weren't operating because of the cold. If there is no power, you can't do a lot of the things you need to do to get the resources to where they need to be. And of course, other infrastructure like the wind turbines, like some of the solar were frozen as well. All in all, guys, the finger is being pointed a lot of places. But what it looks like is this terrible, toxic confluence of all these different factors. And of course, now you've got these prices that have soared on the spot market to add insult to injury. If there's people out there that subscribe to these, you know, you pay what we pay type wholesale energy services uh, like a Gritty or some others, um, and your power has remained on, you might have to, a, a, a just massive bill because these companies are having to go in the spot market to buy energy, which as I showed you guys yesterday, there was at least one trade done at 8750 per megawatt hour, 87.50, the normal price would be about 70 bucks. So there's so many parts of this story and a long way to go. Brian, let's talk about the, the human piece of this, which then of course relates to the economic piece of this is, you know, if you were to look at the next 48 hours, what, what do you think it looks like? I mean, how quickly do you think that this, some of this can get resolved in any way at all? It's not an easy question. So the storm is coming. There's another storm coming, Andrew. Bill Karens of NBC, we had him on Worldwide Exchange. He said that. So bad weather remains. You're not going to get a natural thaw, if you will, just from the weather. About a million fewer people have power or more people have power now than at this time yesterday. If you're trying to find any kind of an upside, 4 million out of power 24 hours ago, about 3 million. So you are seeing some more grid activity. A lot of attention has been focused, of course, on this ERCOT, right? Not EPCOT. ERCOT, Electri Electric Reliability Council of Texas. Not a lot of reliability in the R. 
um, and where their role is in moving power around. A lot of discussion, Andrew, and you see screenshots of, you know, wealthy neighborhoods have power, poorer neighborhoods don't. And the other factor is this, which I didn't even think about, Andrew, is these homes in a lot of these places that are normally hot are actually not built with winter in mind. And so the stuff we take for granted, you know, insulation, Owens Corning, all that pink stuff, a lot of them don't have that or don't have very much. They're built to actually try to stay cool when it's really hot. Um, the state's power demand was higher than the peak of summer when everybody's cranking their air conditioning. Just sounds like unpreparedness factored in with a massive storm and a toxic brew. And Brian, I mean, it's a, it's fluky. I, I admit that, 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 you know, none of us are supposed to have that cold weather anymore, much less Texas. OK, if things are going the way they're, you know, definitely headed. Uh, but I mean, this could happen again, couldn't it? How often is this the new normal, given the way things are structured? So every time Texas gets a, a freak storm that something like this happens, I mean, what needs to be done so it doesn't happen next time? Well, it has happened before. In fact, we showed a we showed a, you know, sort of an angry regulators note and put up on the screen yesterday when they said, well, this is actually from 1990. Doesn't happen a lot, Joe. Uh, there were a few record colds made, but actually there was a foot and a half of snow in Houston on Valentine's Day, 1895. Obviously, a very different world. Point is, it's been this cold before. I think that where the calls are going to come from, and this is really complicated, I'll make it quick. There are a number of different energy grids that are interconnected around the country. The Eastern Interconnect, you got CISO in California, the SPP, and they share with each other. Like the interstate highway system, you can drive on I-95 from New Jersey all the way down to, to Miami, right? Texas has its own grid system, ERCOT. It's like, it's a lone star. It's by itself. It's kind of connected to the others, but not really. They don't have the ability to buy a lot of power from other states. So I think the criticism is gonna come from, why don't you open it up? You know, join in with the band, Texas, because that way, if you've got issues, we can, and we got more power in Tennessee than we need, we'll ship you some of our electricity. They don't really have the ability right. to do that. And somebody asked me yesterday, Joe, they said, why does Texas do that? I said, and I mean this with love, Texas gonna Texas. But, well, Brian, I, my only point what, is, look, if, if every Starting car is going to run off, if, all right, if every car is going to run off the grid eventually and we're all going to be, you know, solar and wind and there's still going to be, I'm just wondering what the world's going to look like because we're going to need a grid if we're not, if we're not powering it with any type of, of hydrocarbons. Um, and, you know, I, I just wonder what the, it's a bigger question here, Brian, of where we're hurtling in terms of, uh, of whatever you want to call it. But we'll see. We'll see whether the new world uh, is ready uh, for powering this grid, Sleds. which is still going to need a lot of, we have of one power. One word for you, Co Joe. I don't know. Rosebud. Yeah. Woke? Rosebud. Rosebud. Thanks. Bitcoin uh, this morning up $2,700, $51,312. And uh, we have pointed out many times, Andrew, that uh, the high and the low of many different years, the, the low can be a fraction, literally, <laughs> of the mm -hmm. high, Th although I don't know whether you agree, this might feel different because of the adoption that we're seeing by some institutional might, type. I got a question for you, Joe, because I weren't there before. I, that weren't there. I know before. you're a Bitcoin. Yeah. 
I know you're a Bitcoin expert, and I, I have to admit, ah, on this piece of it, I'm just I, enough I, to I be dangerous. No, no. But well, so what yeah. I'm about. To, do you know anything about there? Are, there's a number of people that are very cautious now, uh, relating the run up in the price of Bitcoin to the uh, price and at uh, price action on on Tether. Are you familiar with Tether, which is uh, no. a, another one I, of the, look, a stable Andrew. coin that's that's being run off of, of uh, typically run off of other exchanges that are, quote unquote, offshore. And people are correlating things and, and raising lots of questions. There's a big investigation going on um, in, in New York State into, into Tether. Yeah. And, and I don't yeah. I have to say I don't understand no. it, but there's a lot of people speculating in the in the in the Reddit communities and whatnot about it. I, I know just enough to be dangerous. I, I know uh, how you can do a stock to flow uh, analysis of of uh, the supply of Bitcoin, and, and you can then try to value it that way. I understand the basic premise of blockchain and, and, and distributed ledgers, but beyond that, uh, uh, no. But I, just what I described, I think, is more than most people that, that are writing in as experts actually know. They're still trying to figure out how, if you can divide a Bitcoin into a million pieces, that why is there a fixed supply? They, they don't have that down yet. So I'm not, you know, Trying to here's the thing, Andrew. Remember Novogratz? Okay, we went to twenty thousand a couple of years ago, and then went all the way back down, crashed down to, to below four thousand. And Tom Lee was still remember for, for, he was talking yeah. about going back to twenty. Then we got up to about ten, twelve, fourteen, and Novogratz was on and said, you know, I wish I would have sold some at fourteen because again it was back down to eight or ten. So those moves. That's the question I have. Is that a thing of the past now that we've got? Musk, now that we've got MicroStrategy, now that we've got Mellon Bank, now that we've got all these other things that seem to be a, almost a stamp of good housekeeping to some extent because it's becoming more right. uh, mainstream. Are those days gone of the of back down to a fraction of where we are now? Does it, I don't either. I don't this, either. This tether anyway, piece, just, I need to do well, more we, work well, on we, it. The, the, the tether piece suggests well, you do. Is, is, is almost a short thesis on, on Bitcoin uh, in the short term. But I, I, I don't understand it well enough. Uh, but there's a lot of folks out there seem to be having this conversation. So we'll see. I had someone yesterday tell me I didn't understand decimal points. And, and I, I sent back, do you need a decimal point to get zero followers? Is it 0.0? .0? Is it 0, 0.000? Or is it just zero followers? Anyway, that's how it gets ridiculous, the Twitter sphere. Why answer someone with zero followers? That's the question. Coming up on Squawk Pod, the Detroit developer recognizing potential in communities and investors of color. Roderick Hardiman. We're not an anomaly. We're not an aberration. We're successful, creative, thoughtful business individuals who know how to get stuff done. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Welcome back to Squawk. Rebuilding Detroit, it's one of the real great estate stories of the decade. While we tend to focus on some of the big names involved, like 
Quicken's Dan Gilbert or related Stephen Ross. Another group of developers is battling bigotry to make their mark one building at a time. And Diona Olick has that story this morning. Roderick Hardiman spent two decades on Wall Street, but he came home to the streets of Detroit, which he calls his best investment yet. Making sure that the activity and economic growth that happens here is inclusive and impactful for all Detroit residents. He is one of several small black developers going neighborhood to neighborhood, property to property, building back the beleaguered city and raising up its residents. This will be a mixed use development with retail space and affordable housing. It's actually one of the first new construction projects on Grand River, which is one of our main corridors in over 30 years. His partner is local gallery owner and developer George Nanamdi. It's important to have um, the small developers doing things in the community because most of the time the community, the they have lived in these communities. They know these communities. But for these partners and others like them, finding the capital is not easy. And so access to capital is a historic problem that uh, emerging developers, African-Americans, women, minorities across the board, uh, people of color across the board face and struggle with, right? And it does make the projects much more challenging, right? We have to be 10 times more creative to find ways to fill capital gaps. That means leaning on partners in the philanthropic and social space like Capital Impact, Invest Detroit, the City of Detroit, and Local Initiative Support Corp, not the big banks. I think the movement of black developers here in Detroit is very, very unique. We recognize uh, the potential of going into areas that people don't quite see the vision yet. And that's one of the biggest strengths we have. We're not an anomaly. We're not an aberration. We're successful, creative, thoughtful business individuals who know how to get stuff done. You just have to be patient and you have to be foolish enough never to quit uh, and then stay hopeful that you can push through. Roderick Hardiman says he hopes that by showing both creativity and that the projects make economic sense, he will attract more investors and more capital to minority developers, not just in Detroit, but all over the country. Andrew. Uh, you know, Diana, we think of Detroit as one of the last places people want to live because of what happened to the economy there. Why so much new development right now? Well, there's a new economy in Detroit. Look, the auto industry isn't what it was, but they do have a thriving manufacturing industry. Of course, you have Quicken Loans there, which keeps getting bigger. You also have a huge university base that they can draw from, students who might want to stay in Detroit. And believe it or not, with all the millennials who are going there now because it's a cheaper cost of living, it's now be called the new hipster city. Right. I'm surprised. Just one question on the capital raise issue. I'm surprised no major bank participated in that. Well, there are banks obviously participating in the rebirth of Detroit, but as Hardiman said, it's very hard for small developers like him to get that capital from banks. And you see the banks, you know, trying to help residential buyers of real estate, that is homeowners who want to get in. You've seen a lot of that in the last couple of months from the big banks offering mortgages. But when it comes to commercial developments in downtown Detroit, he says it's very difficult to get the banks to look at the smaller developers and the minority developers, especially like him. Right. It's an important story. Diana, thank you for bringing it to us this morning. Next on Squawk Pod, has Robinhood gamified or democratized the stock market? A dynamic debate between Squawk's favorite duo, John Hope Bryant. It's turning into a dangerous place, and my clients are getting caught in the middle. I mean, literally, people think that they're betting their written money because they think that this, based on the internet hype, this stock can't lose. And Shark Tank's Kevin O'Leary. Why I'm supporting Robinhood and the Reddit crowd is 
Even if they gamified it, there's an education process going on here. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom. And supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's Next Level Supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply. You're listening to Squawk Pod, today with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Joe. The House Financial Services Committee set to question several actors in the GameStop uh, saga following the outcry against Robinhood and other brokers' decision to restrict trading on several stocks uh, last month. Executives from Robinhood, Citadel, uh, Melvin Capital, and Reddit will testify at the hearing scheduled uh, for tomorrow afternoon. Join us now, John Hope Bryant, founder and CEO of Operation Hope, and Kevin O'Leary, chairman at O'Shares ETFs and a Shark Tank uh, co-host, also a CNBC contributor. JHB, John Hope, um, just looking at your notes, it, you appreciate the democratization, and, I, and we've worked together on this and, and trying to open up the, the entire <clears throat> capitalistic system to everyone, because that that's, would be a, a key um, a way to move forward in, in, in equalizing opportunity. But reading your notes, you, you, you want everyone to participate, but I still get the feeling that you think it's rigged. So I, I, and we got to make sure it's not rigged, and, and I agree with that, but why, why want everyone to participate in something that from the, uh, from the outset you kind of think is, is an unfair system in the first place? Well, first of all, good to see you, uh, Joe, and uh, good to see your cool hairstyle. Um, uh, the last show you just had, the last feature you just had was a young entrepreneur from Detroit named Hardeman who said he, he wants to be foolish enough not to quit. That's what I want for every entrepreneur in this country. He happens to be black. And by the way, he had problem accessing capital. I want him to call me uh, so we can help him at Operation Hope do just that. You know, what I want is a fair system. I want a level playing field. At most, I want affirmative action on capitalism, on capitalism so that folks get a, 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 a level playing field to operate. Why do you go to Harvard? Great university, but not, you know, much better than some great state universities because the class of 2021 is going to hook each other up for the next 40 years. That's why you go to Harvard, principally. It's a club, and they trade information amongst themselves. So you have a free flow, you have a free enterprise system, but you don't have a free flow of information. And that happened with Reddit, and that happened, and that happens on Wall Street, and that game needs to stop, uh, so that everybody has a shot at success or failure on their own merit. There is a perception, Kevin, and and all you got to do is is look at any of the polls conducted, and I think a majority of people think it's it's the the average investor can't go up against the citadels and the and the uh, the computer traders and guys that that have 
you know, whether it's at, uh, what, what's the club I always hear about? What's that club in New York City where it, the, everyone says that's where all the ideas are discussed between these guys? There is a perception, um, core club, I guess. Uh, there is a perception it's rigged, week, yeah. Kevin. Yeah, I, I want to uh, make a, an observation. I'm going to bet that as we go through this grilling, this uh, political theater we're about to see, the majority of the people criticizing the system or criticizing Robin Hood or the Wall Street Bets crowd or Reddit have never used it. I forced myself to download Robin Hood. I put $10,000 into it. I joined Reddit and I ride with the herd now. I did that on one phone and on the other phone I bought a robo-advisor, one that I invested in called Beanstalks. I am trying to day trade with everybody else and I'm watching my robo-advisor beat me right now. The point is, it's fantastic democratization. There's no question about it. But I'm going to make an observation that I did not assume was, was you know, there when I started this whole little journey. I called up Vlad last week and his executives. I didn't know if he'd return my call. He did. And I spoke to him for about 45 minutes. I have a different impression about that guy now. He's an engineer. He's very pragmatic. He's building a platform that he's trying to keep safe for people. I did not know until I downloaded the app, you cannot short a stock on Robinhood. So it's very hard to blow yourself up. You might be able to do it with options. It's quite a good platform. But here's the issue with it. It's done 20 million accounts that no one else has ever been able to do. And everybody that I've learned about the Reddit crowd now that I'm part of it, they're not as dumb as everybody thinks. Those people at Bloomberg's, they're searching out situations that are overshorted, that have thin floats. They're organizing the night before and they're going after the stocks. And in most cases, they're driving them up. So you can realize now that there's a whole new ball game in town. And I'm riding with them. I've just, I made 5% yesterday on some crazy pharmaceutical company I'd never heard of. Now, am I going to beat my robo? I don't know. But there's a whole new sheriff in town and they're not stupid. And this is sort of the problem. Like, you know, he just used a foreign language with half of what he was just talking about. I knew what he was talking about, but the average person has no clue what Kevin just said. And uh, you and you had gaming on both sides, Kevin. We're at war. You had the hedge funds who have privileged information. No, I called them like a like a uh, a uh, Monaco uh, private game, car game. And you got the folks at Reddit who have their hats on backwards, who are technology centric. Uh, who are also gaming on privileged information, which is themselves sort of riding up a certain stock. It, Wall Street should be about capital formation. It should be about the, de the delivery of, of capital to build important companies and stocks that have, I don't know, I don't know earnings <laughs> attached to them. It's turning into uh, the gamification. It's turning into a dangerous place. And my clients, Kevin, are getting caught in the middle. I mean, literally... People think that they're betting their written money because they think that this, based on the internet hype, this stock can't lose. I literally heard that. They thought it was going to a thousand. They bet their rent money and they went and it and got in at three hundred, wrote it to four fifty, and wrote it all the way back down. It's now what at fifty six cents, whatever, sixty bucks. They, they they lost all their savings plus a loan they took out. And so the the folks in the middle getting hurt here are unsophisticated. And I think that's the issue, yeah. I believe. I, I don't think, you know, John, I don't think that's a good argument for Capitol Hill. I'll tell you why. Every investor is a speculator, whether you hold a stock for a millisecond or whether you own it for 10 years. And the market has to accommodate that. What I'm looking at now and I'm becoming to believe and why I'm supporting Robinhood and the Reddit crowd is 
even if they've gamified it, even if the element of using it is very easy, which it is, they've done a great job with the interface, there's an education process going on here. In investing, you win and you lose. You make money, you lose money. That is for every investor. And if we can get an 18-year-old learning that early on, because we certainly haven't covered it for them in high school or college, we've failed them as a society on that. If they have to learn it on Reddit and they have to learn it, you know, trading on Robinhood, I'm okay with it. I've come to that conclusion. I'm going to be very supportive of this. I'm going to tell people to do both. Download Robinhood, put some cash into that, and compete with yourself in a robo. You can pick any of the robo-advisors. And I think you learn from that. You learn that indexing long-term can help you sustain wealth. And day trading is very, very hard. It's not investing. It's really hard to make money doing quick churns. And I think that education is powerful and important. Even if you gamify it, I think it's fantastic. I'm getting out there and saying to every student I teach, do both. Compete with yourself and see if you can beat it. But the point is they're doing something they never did before. And I applaud Vlad and his team. They are going to take a ton of criticism this coming few sessions. And I want to be one of the supporters of him saying, look, if you're going to be a politician and you're going to criticize this platform, download it. Try it. Use it. You can't criticize if you don't try it. That's the only rule so I Kevin, think we should have. Kevin, you actually, we actually agree for different reasons. <laughs> you, you, said, you said my loving word, education. But you got your education, and I got mine, by the way, both of us, <clears throat> Joe too probably, from sitting at our dad and our mother's knee because they were investors. We got our education in the market. We got our education for, because you, you know, we, we were around other investors. In my neighborhood, if you hang around nine broke people, you're going to be the tip. And so no one's talking about margins and indexing and all that stuff. And, and you're getting on these platforms, and these are not investors, uh, uh, Kevin, the middle of this market. These are dreamers. These are speculators. These are they, 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 It's like going to Las Vegas. They're going to hit it quick. It's like they think, they think this is a lottery. We need to turn them into investors. I'm actually agreeing with you on this point, Kevin. I actually like the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the I don't want to mention specific, specific platform names, but there are a number of platforms that I actually think are quite innovative. I actually think the Robinhood platform, I mentioned it, is quite innovative. I like it. I would have loved them to put financial education and investor education in their first trade. That's my only criticism of it. The first time they opened their first trade, you wouldn't have slowed the process down. Embed a little financial education. Embed a little bit of a pumping of the brakes. I opened an account just like you. I, I found it John, the, really the, easy. John, the Almost risk you're taking... The when you, when you poke the fire with this issue around it not being fair, you stimulate all kinds of politicians to try and change rules around the market that's actually working. We don't need to change anything. The market is working just the way it, it was designed to do, and it's doing a very good job of it. The, the words I hate, and we're going to hear them all week, is, Hi, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help you. I'm here to protect you against yourself. I'm here to make sure you only make money when you invest. You'll never have a loss because I'm from Massachusetts or I'm from Tennessee, and I'm going to make sure no bad things happen to you as an investor. How absurd is that? Of course that's not going to work. They'll get their time yelling at these poor providers. At the end of the day, nothing's going to change. That is what I think. Because we need to short stocks, and we need to have liquidity, and we need a market that provides for everybody, a millisecond holder and a 10-year holder. We need all that. Anytime there's stress on the system, there's always a politician telling you we have to fix it. I hate that. So, Kevin, no one said anything about fearing anything. or I didn't say anything about that. You want to paint me as being a, some kind of a crazy liberal. I'm actually a capitalist with a heart. I love I to do that to you, John. I love it. That's I, my job I, on earth. 
single bite. Let me finish my sentence. I let you finish yours. I, your, your mother gave you good, good manners. I want an investor's bill of rights that where the Wall Street polices itself before the government has to come and do it for it. No regulator, Kevin, was created out of good times. They're created because the market did not police itself. The Federal Reserve, the OCC, the SEC, the FDIC. I can go down the list. CFPB. These were because the market did not police itself. We have got to put on the right hat and do the right thing. It's in it's in Wall Street's best interest to, to create the next generation of John O'Brien's, of Joe Kearns, and uh, Kevin O'Leary's as strong as, as weird as it is for me to say. We've got to create a new generation of investors by educating them in the market, with the market, by the market. All right. That's good. We're going to end it there. That. We only need one of each of us, though. I, I, I think the, that, that, that we can all agree on. Anna and Andrew, uh, great discussion, you guys. Uh, you, you're, we love having you uh, on together. And I'm sure there's going to be something to talk about next week uh, to get both sides of, uh, uh, from, from you gentlemen. Thank you both, John Hope, uh, Bryant, and uh, Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary. That's Squawk Pod for today. On our rundown tomorrow, Bill Gates, the Microsoft founder, famously predicted a once-in-a-century pandemic. How did that turn out? His newest book is How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Subscribe to Squawk Pod. We are available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. Meet Janice. Unfortunately, her thing is sneeze attacks every time spring returns. I literally sneezed 40 times in a row once. Luckily for Janice, at the Walmart pharmacy, she can get over-the-counter allergy relief for things like sneezing, runny nose, and watery eyes, fast with online pickup or delivery. No more suffering? That's nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> I see what you did there. Help survive allergy season with fast online pickup or delivery from Walmart. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart.